0: Hello and welcome to Comic Book Herald's Cree Annotators. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Today I am joined by Ibrahim Mustafa, the writer and artist of graphic novel Count which is coming out from Humanoids as you are listening to this I'm going to try to release it the episode right about the time that the graphic novel is officially available in stores uh Ibrahim thanks so much for joining today I really appreciate you taking the time we're going to talk Count as well as some of your other works before we uh you know dig in here I wanted to talk to you about um like how how did the inspiration come about for this particular graphic novel it's an interesting I found it an interesting adaptation because it's, it's very much your own work. It's very much yours, despite it having, you know, it's not, it's not a literal Count in Monte Cristo adaptation, right? Like it's you doing your take, your riff on that, on the themes of that and the ideas in that story. Um, What was the inspiration for that? And why did you want to reference that source material?
1: Yeah. Well, first, I, you know, it's, I appreciate you making that distinction because I think it does kind of get lost in the translation of the the PR materials thus far, like an adaptation. Sure. So people might think, well, this doesn't have anything to do with the, you know, so I, this guy's I,
0: name is totally different. Right.
1: Inspired by <laughs> may have been like the better tagline in retrospect, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, you know, I just, I'm a big fan of revenge stories and the Count of Monte Cristo is kind of the granddaddy of them all. And I was just kind of in a headspace, I guess, thinking about different revenge stories I enjoy. I think John wick had just come out and I, you know, loved watching that. And, and, um, and then I just thought like, well, you know, wouldn't it be cool if this story, which is, you know, in the public domain and everyone is aware of it on some level, I think uh, culturally, what if this, took place in a different setting and had action in it because the original novel is, is very soap operatic. There's not a lot of, I mean, there's really, I think there's a sword drawn in the whole book and it's a 1200 (laughs) page book, right? Which is wild. Yeah. yeah,
0: Yeah, You definitely expect there to be more than I think there is. Yeah.
1: And the 2002 film adaptation of it with Jim Caviezel and Guy Pierce definitely added a couple of sword fights and a little bit more action to it. And action is just a big thing that I enjoy in media, and so I thought I would try to play to my what I feel are my strengths and and really inject some of that into the the story. So uh, from there, I just set out to to start crafting a a pitch document. You know, I was I did it in between work for higher stuff, so I would kind of take some time in the evening or a weekend on the rare occasions that I actually got those and uh, (laughs) would start chipping away at character designs and just kind of building it in my head. And then once I was able to pitch it to humanoids and they said, okay, we like this, we want to see more Mm -hmm. before we give it a yes or no. um, That gave me an opportunity to really just start kind of bearing down on the, the details of it and really kind of hone it into what it became.
0: Cool. Cool. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you, you've mentioned, and I've listened to some other interviews, including the one you did on the Humanoids podcast with Mark Wade and the team there. Um, you mentioned uh, Wishbone, like the, the yeah. Jack Russell Terrier <laughs> as, a, as a touch base, which I thought was hilarious because that definitely was my introduction to a lot of classic literature as well. I think kind of Monte Cristo is funny in that regard, in that I, like you said, I think everyone has familiarity with it, but the percentage of people that maybe have actually read the Alexander Dumas is probably pretty low. I know in my case, it definitely was like, it was one that I actually in prep for this interview. I was like, I should probably like check out the audiobook, and like listen to it on a few runs. I've never, even though I feel like I know the story, I've never actually experienced it, which, which your graphic novel, then I didn't have, I didn't have the burden or those expectations of, you know, somebody who's like, oh, does this do the original justice, which actually was kind of freeing i think potentially yeah um, and you know yeah. it's
1: it's interesting too because there are a lot of adaptations that we don't even realize are adaptations of it right sure, um, sure. old boy is kind of a count of monte cristo style adaptation yeah. the guys put in a prison he eventually escapes takes his revenge right sure, so right. it's it's been done in various uh mediums i think in ways that really transform it um and i and i was actually thinking about it it would be interesting to see what would have happened if we didn't say anything about the Count of Monte Cristo, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. just kind of put it out there to see if people. But I felt like because I was paying homage to a lot of it and and I was really taking the broad strokes of the original, it would have been like, isn't this just the Count of Monte Cristo? Like what?
0: Yeah. <laughs> so yeah.
1: it was necessary to kind of put that out there that that's what it was.
0: Right, right. No, I can see that too. Um, so it, there's definitely a recurring theme in in your work about, um, especially like Yeager, the the Eisner-nominated graphic novel you did um, about revenge. Right, the lengths people will go to to get vengeance. Like you mentioned, you know, John Wick is kind of a touch point, uh, a more modern one. Um, Often on it too, it's like, it's often people on a very deserving level, right? Like we're rooting for the protagonist to get the revenge. Like it's whether it's Nazis or encounter, you know, these aristocratic murderous monsters, essentially, right? They only care about their own wealth and power. They'll do anything to get it. Right. It's not, it's not hard to root for the protagonist in these scenarios. Nonetheless, we're wishing violence upon them. W- what is it that you think about this theme that grabs you so much? Uh, is it, is it purely the action, the narrative of it? Is there something bigger and broader that you think like speaks to you? Like, what do you, what do you think it is?
1: I think in a lot of ways is the, the catharsis of it, right? Yeah. We are so inundated every day with injustices happening right before our eyes left and right. You know, Mm -hmm. we're, we're a year past almost to the day, Breonna Taylor's murder in her own bed. Right. And we all want justice for that. And it hasn't come and it probably won't. And because that's the world we live in and that's the way that the system was built. So I think for me, I, I find a bit of catharsis in the comeuppance of the people who really deserve it in some little way via fiction, right? Even if it's not the real thing that we actually hope for Mm -hmm. it something about it just kind of enters your mind and goes, okay, at least they got theirs, you know? And I yeah. think that's probably what, what draws me to the the genre so much.
0: Right. That's interesting. Yeah, no, there's definitely satisfaction derived from, so in this encounter in, in your version, it's, um, I, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this correctly. Redzon, uh, Samud, am I yeah. saying that? Yep. Okay. Um, he, he is the main titular character here and he, um, you know is going to get his revenge on these aristocrats that have, have thrown him in jail essentially right for mostly for reasons that you know are similar to count of monte cristo he is beloved he's going to get the get the woman that this guy wants see the aristocrat to marry him right and all these reasons and of course as he then gets thrown into jail and has to overcome these things you know we're rooting for him to get his for people already familiar with the narrative How would you sell them on your version? Like, what would, uh, uh, like, you mentioned the action part of it, which is definitely, I think, a big selling point. What else would you say? Like, this is why you should read my uh, count, you know, even if you think you know the story. Great question. I
1: think for me, what I set out to do was make the version of the story that I wanted to see. And I think I would probably tell people if you felt something, um, well, you know, the thing is though, I mean to your earlier point, a lot of people haven't read the original. It's a Mm twelve hundred page book from eighteen forty-four, right? So so I would say (laughs) Yeah, I would say if you've ever been curious about the story of the Count of Monte Cristo, or if you've seen the two thousand two movie and you're interested in what a different semi, you know, futuristic kind of sci-fi fantasy take on what that story could be, then this would be a book to check out.
0: Cool. Cool. So about the, the futurism and sort of the sci-fi in that interview I mentioned earlier with, with Mark Wade, I was struck by how much thought you put into like the world design, um, kind of the technological progress of this, this futuristic civilization that's on the page. It's, you know, yeah, I could tell it just in your thinking that like, it comes out in the way that this technology feels lived in, in this world, like it's got all these hovering cities and technology and people are flying there's small details too like you know the prisoners have like id chips like numbers that are like you know in their neck and like floating above their head it's just kind of a cool like electronic visual um what kind of influences do you draw from when you're envisioning a society that like like is based on a different kind of energy like do you do do you get into research like is it just kind of all in your head like what's that process like
1: it was definitely all in my head um yeah there are just certain visuals that I enjoy. And so it really was a process of kind of backwards engineering saying, Mm. I like the way this looks. I think this would be fun to draw. I think this is a cool aesthetic. How do I make sense of it? Um, So that was, that was the process behind that stuff. And then a lot of it is just kind of fitting in things as you go, right? Like you mentioned the, the prisoner count numbers. Um, I wanted A way to you know identify them with a prisoner number that wasn't just printed on their shirts right because I I didn't see a place in this world for screen printing you know it just kind of didn't really (laughs) seem like that seemed like something very much our our existence you know Um, and so it, it was a lot of little things like that that was just finding solutions to certain visual questions that I was asking myself as I was making this world
0: yeah yeah that's interesting when you're so you're writing and drawing this it's not your first foray into writing and drawing for yourself but like you mentioned you've done uh you know a fair amount of work for higher stuff like you've done mother panic ed part of the um, young animals line savage things via vertigo right when you have you know another writer that you're collaborating with how how different is it or i guess in your obviously it's very different because you're the one giving yourself the instructions but do you think like Firstly, hey, I want to draw these cool things or do you think firstly, here's the story and then like what like which voice, like writer artist comes first?
1: That's a really good question. I'm it's probably artist a little bit more at first. Mm-hmm. I certainly endeavor to make everything make sense with the story, right? I I went through a very detailed synopsis that I sent to humanoids when I was pitching this and so In doing that, it was essentially like I had just come out of the movie and I sat down with a friend over dinner afterward and said, so they did this and then this happens and this happens, right? And with that, I wanted, I, I was very careful to make it as airtight as possible and to make sure that everything had a story reason for being. So none of the things that I do that are visually cool for me to draw are just, kind of a frivolous attempt at oh well screw it you know like 90s kind of (laughs) image you know drawing big guns because it looks rad right like there was kind of a reason to all of it so um with that said though there were definitely sequences that you know when when red xan is about to escape the prison and there's a little kind of panel to panel beat where there there's a guard kneeling in the foreground and a guard standing behind him and Mm the guard in the background kind of gets sucked out of the panel and then red's in rises in his place. And you know, you get this idea that, oh, okay, he just pulled that guy down and whatever. So right. little beats like that, I knew I wanted to have and things like that, that I know that I enjoy drawing and I thought would be cool visually. Uh, and, and from a narrative standpoint. So a lot of times those things will come first and then I'll think, okay, I'll keep that in the back of my mind or in my pocket for later when I can find a spot for it.
0: Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. That's interesting. Um, what kind of elements from the novel you said you did? You know, ultimately you did go back, and kind of reference the text. Uh, what what elements or themes? Because obviously you're you're doing your own thing, right? It's a futuristic sci-fi, like we said. You know, it's it's inspired by. Uh, were there things in that in the original story that you definitely wanted to change? Like, were there elements and and parts of that that you were like? I want to make sure I don't do this.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, one of the main things is that in the original novel, it's, it's very, it's got very heavy religious connotations to it. Mm. Um, Edmond Dantes sees himself almost as a a messenger of God for mercy and revenge and that kind of, you know, like he's very much on a, on a divine mission in his eyes. And the companion he meets in prison was a, a priest. And so I definitely felt it necessary to strip that aspect of it, partially because I just happened to not coincide with those views myself and, and it would yeah. have been very forced to add them. But also, I think the, the notion of a, a deity in the sense that we practice it in sort of commonplace Judeo-Christian society is very much an earth people thing. And not mm. that this necessarily takes place on another planet. I mean, there's no aliens, there's no
0: beasts, you know. It's a it's, wrinkle. Yeah. What? I mean, it's, was this on Earth? Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> it,
1: it, I, I kind I don't say, like, I don't name the yeah. world. I don't, you know, we, we talk about the union and the protectorate as the very the different uh you know facets of power in this main city that they're in and whatnot, but that's about as far as it goes. Cause I wanted to keep it ambiguous. Um, so I guess that was another one of the changes, is not making it too specific a setting because yeah. I think the original as fantastic as it is it is of a time and place very specifically you know it's it's uh, Napoleonic France and um, right so I wanted to make it a little bit more timeless in the sense that there are so many things in the novel that are timeless themes wrongful incarceration classism mm-hmm. um and so I wanted in corruption you know so I wanted to Really heighten those aspects of it because they are so relevant to our time, unfortunately, still, you know, almost 200 years later, (laughs) um, and make them timeless in a way that wouldn't, wouldn't be, make them behold into a specific era of the world.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, one interesting thing that you talked about, you know, because this is a humanoids graphic novel, um, they have a, a major presence in France, actually, right? Which is, you know, you just mentioned, like, okay, that's where the original takes place. Uh, and there's a, a certain style that's associated with the line, with with the influence of um, Mobius, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that something that you had to like, dis- like, do you actually have to consciously do things in your style to sort of touch on whatever the French European style of humanoids is, or was it sort of just your style fits for what they're looking to do and you didn't have to change much.
1: It was the latter. Actually, this is one of the few projects that I have felt that I could just do what I do on it Hmm. and not worry about if it fits a certain thing. Now that's not to say that I've been pressured in that way necessarily, but I think there is an unspoken pressure, you know, uh, certain publishers have house styles, right? I mean, DC has sort of an unspoken house style that, you know, if you draw like Jim Lee, you're going to probably get a lot more work at DC. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and right. so I think there's a pressure when you get those kind of projects to kind of mold yourself in a way that is a little bit different. Right. It's almost <laughs> like trying to walk differently, like, oh, I should put, you know, stand up a little straighter kind of thing or something. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really hard to do that consciously for a long stretch of time, like 120 pages, you know? <laughs> so right. sure. uh, because count wasn't coming from anyone else's mind, but my own in terms of this version of the project that I was doing. Um, I was, I use this analogy a lot, but I was dressing myself. I wasn't trying to dress for what I thought would be appropriate for a certain Mm. event or something. It was, this is what I feel the best in. This is, I feel like what plays to my personal strengths and I'm just going to do what I feel the most. Um, And so with this book, I, I did ink washes, which is not something I've typically done much of in the past. Um, and that really helped me to feel like I was pushing it over the finish line in a way that I haven't <laughs> previously in a lot of work. It was kind of like the missing piece that I wasn't aware w- wasn't there. And so once I kind of introduced that to my process, it ended up being very fulfilling creatively. So I think it was a very fortunate and happy kind of coincidence that what I do happens to fit with the humanoid aesthetic and it, I'm sure in no small part because I've been influenced by that work throughout my journey as an artist too.
0: So sure. Sure. What, um, how did you settle on adding in the ink washing? Was it something you felt like you wanted to experiment with or like kind of been in the back of your mind or was, I don't know, like some reference point where you saw something and wanted to bring it in? Where did that come about?
1: Well, you know, a lot of artists these days, and I think uh, James Heron and Daniel Warren Johnson have been kind of leading the charge on this, uh, sure, have been yeah. introducing z- screen tones. Uh, to their work, which is essentially a a pre-printed dot patterns on clear plastic sheets that have an adhesive side to them that you put, you paste onto the page and then you cut out the pieces that you want Hmm. removed. And then what's left, you know, adds different depth and tonal value to, to the page. And I was really floored by that and started using that in my commission work and, and covers here and there and things like that. But it's very difficult. And I and I tried it in some sequential pages here and there, but it's very difficult to, you know, stock up on you know it's imported from Japan and it can get pretty costly and interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so and it also is a lot more time consuming because you're cutting out with an exacto knife over these little tiny shapes. You're trying to make sure you're not accidentally cutting out too much or too little and having to paste in little patch pieces. And sure, yeah. In a lot of cases you have to scrape away the the printing to let some of the white come through to kind of give it some highlights and things like that. And I, with inkwash, you know, I have a, a background in watercolor, just you know, something that I endeavored to do as I was starting out as an artist. And so I was very comfortable pushing a wet medium around with a brush and it, you can get very similar effects, you know, with the, the watered down ink, essentially creating those values and the, the different, Staging and foreground and background elements with with using using different saturation levels of that gray. So, I I just set out to you know I, I I felt like that was the missing piece because every time I would finish something just in stark black and white, it never felt done to me for whatever yeah. reason. Yeah. And then also it helps you I think in kind of directing through your art what you want the colorists to to take away from what you did and and bring to the table and so uh and that was definitely what I found with Brad Simpson who's just fantastic. He really he has a background as a painter himself so he really picks up on my intent on the pages and and you know just levels it up a hundredfold.
0: Oh, that's cool. That's going to be my follow up. Yeah, so Brad Simpson on colors here. We've got a uh, Hassan Oh, it's made all the way on letters. So you have a really good, uh, creative collaborators here bringing this whole thing to life. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was wondering like, how does that, so is it because you are, you're giving indications of tone through the ink washing process that then the colorist would have more potential indication of like how to match that?
1: Yeah. I think it tends to indicate lighting a little more. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it shows as a rendering style what I'm going for. And so brad can intuit his work based on that um i think i have always preferred art or color art that's a little flatter over my work as opposed Mm -hmm. to very very highly rendered stuff and if i'm taking care of some of the rendering then that lets brad know where he should you know push a little farther or you know let up on the gas a little bit Um, so I think it creates a nice, really intuitive give and take with the two of us that makes it feel to me more collaborative in that way, which I think is really fun.
0: Cool. Cool. No, it's interesting. Yeah. It's a great looking book. I mean, I really love the visuals. I love the designs. Uh, where, where do you get your inspiration, uh, for, you know, some of like, like the armor and the flying devices and, you know, there's some, some really cool sci-fi visuals here. Um, is that like, what's your. What's your design work process? Cause they, there's some cool stuff in the back of this graphic novel about kind of your, your character work. And like you mentioned, you know, you kind of started just kind of like like getting those designs ready, getting those kind of the look and feel of the world. Um, how do you go about that process?
1: You know, I enjoy floating things (laughs) and things that are kind of holographic and, but tangible, you know? Yeah. Um, And since this was my first opportunity to really just kind of let loose on the things that I want to do, I just really let myself kind of have at it. And so a lot of it was, you know, there are shields that the the characters wear into battle and they are kind of these floating holographic shields. And within this world, I, I set to kind of make light and the idea of light something that is... Important to this society somewhat yeah. on a religious level. We, there's a character who's a, a priestess in the book and she is like referred to as a conduit, a conduit of the temple of Lumen. Right. So okay. they don't worship, a God necessarily, but there's something about light in the society. They see things to each other, like may your light shine, you know? Yeah. Um, and with that, I decided that I wanted the characters to have that represented on them somehow. And so I've got these little kind of circular or triangular, different shaped uh, lapel insignia kind of things that they wear, oh, yeah. and th- which are illuminated. And those kind of serve double function as kind of a status symbol. But then also that is in my mind where the like shields would emanate from, right? That's like the source of them. Or like Red Zan in the book uses one as kind of a undercover gadget in a way to kind of, right. You know, so it was kind of just trying to find ways to make all of those things cohesive. And then with the vehicle and ship designs and whatnot, those were all based on nature. And, um, to, well, to some extent, for example, the, the ships are all based on whales and, you know, there's a pirate ship that shows up that's based on a goblin shark. Mm. And my thought process there was if these, if this world had a different, Industrial revolution, then the, and it wasn't based around a combustion engine or steam engine, things like that, then yeah. they would have had cause to design things differently because th- the form would take a different function because it didn't need to necessitate being built around a little engine that, you know, harnesses tiny explosions every couple seconds to make it go. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so they would, in my mind, they would look to the world around them. Um, you know, if you have a seafaring vessel, then it makes sense to model it after a seafaring creature, things like that.
0: Sure. Yeah, that's interesting. Very good. Okay. Uh as far as working on the uh, you know, single issue versus the graphic novel here, you've got you've got this graphic novel, you've got two more coming down the road from humanoids. I know there's a, a three-book deal. Um, is it something where like as far as the time commitment goes, when you're working on these three graphic novels, is it um like how, how heads down, how just totally like into these three are you? And would you even have time for like work for hire stuff when you're working on something like three graphic novels? I feel like people don't often comics fans. We don't have a great sense of like how much of a graphic novel eats your life.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's a huge time commitment and I don't draw in a way that's particularly fast. So I have to make up for that by working longer hours, you know, to keep schedules. So you know, most days are 10 to 14 hours. Um, it, it, some days you get lucky and you get an easier page just because that's the way it worked out. And so you can maybe yeah. double up, you know. Um, but yeah, you know, Count is a is a 120 page graphic novel, which is equivalent to six issues of comics, right? Yeah. And right. it took me about seven months to to pencil and ink it. So I, I worked at a pretty good clip and, uh, yeah, by the end it was, I was pretty burnt out, you know, (laughs) it's just kind of the way these things go. Luckily it was, excuse me, creatively fulfilling the whole way, but you know, uh, the way it worked out, there's big battle scenes and crowd stuff at the end. So it was like really (laughs) stretching the muscles as far as they would go toward the, toward the end of it. Yeah, Yeah. But having a deal in place with three books allowed me to take a bit of a break between the finishing count and starting the next one, which was really nice because I could collect myself. I could catch up on housework. I could spend some time with my wife, you know, (laughs) kind of get my bearings again and not be worried about hustling for the next work for hire gig because a lot of times that's how it pans out. So um, yeah, it's definitely an undertaking and it it takes a lot of time. um, But uh, working in this fashion has been nice. And also I, I I'm a fan of the, the format. I think Mm -hmm we are being conditioned to be a binge culture these days with all the oh, streaming yeah. services. And so, you know, in a world where you can watch 12 hours of a show drop in one day, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Expecting people to wait 30 days between 20 page chapters is kind of asking a lot in some cases. And so, Oh Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I I really appreciated being able to put something out that's in one chunk that kind of is like sitting down and watching a movie or something you get to experience the whole thing in one sitting if you want. And um, and you also don't aren't aren't uh, beholden to formatting issues where you have to say, you know, at the beginning of the, the each subsequent issue, you have to give a little dialogue recap of what happened a month ago. You know, that's not something I had to worry about. So yeah, it's, it's been a, a really nice change of pace in, in that regard.
0: That's good. That's good. No, it's funny. I, I just got uh, invited to guest on a podcast about basically yeah, single issues versus trade waiting. And it's, it's funny. I, I love comics. I I have for a long time. I talk about them all the time, but the, like you just described the read 20 pages, wait 30 days approach. It's like, it's just not conducive to most stories. Mm-hmm. There are exceptions, Um, Of course, and I but just like the the single issue thing for me is it's more about the collection and sort of just the the value of having it in your hands necessarily than it is the actual story, uh, which is almost always better consumed, you know, in that full essentially graphic novel or trade uh, format. I mean, again, like there are like a book like Ice Cream Man that I love from Image Comics is like an anthology where it's like each issue is its own thing very purposefully. Most comics don't function that way at this point in time, um, so yeah, like reading Count is like, oh cool, I'm gonna sit down tonight and I'm gonna read 120 pages of this thing, and that's the story. And it's 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 far from revolutionary, but in comics, it's like weirdly <laughs> yeah. because that's not the that's not how it's usually yeah,
1: delivered. It's difficult because you want to support shops, you know, oh, yeah. and, and a lot of their bread and butter comes from those monthly issues every week. And um, I, I'm excited about one of the things that drew me to Humanoids was their commitment to forward thinking uh, when it comes to the direct market and how best to serve it. And I think that uh, from what I've heard from different retailers that I've talked to about it, OGNs are great because if you give them something that is an evergreen story that they can sell to anyone at any time and they can order it whenever they want and there's a decent margin for them, then it, I, it's kind of like everybody wins. And so that was another thing that was important to me moving forward is I want to be a part of the solution to making the industry sustainable and, and long lasting. And so uh, I was pretty excited about having that opportunity to do that.
0: Nice. Yeah, no, it's, it's awesome. Um, what do you do when you're in those long writing and drawing phases to like, keep yourself sane? Like how, like what are your, what are your breaks or like mental health, Uh, you know, like little tips and tricks or something? Uh,
1: a lot of audiobooks while I'm working, audiobooks yeah. and podcasts. I try not to watch things because it's easy to get distracted. And, you know, so yeah. if I do put on something in the background that's visual, it's usually a documentary or a movie I've seen a hundred times. Yeah. Um, f- personally, you know, in, in my what little downtime I have, I, I got really into customizing action figures over the last couple of years. Oh, nice. And so that's something I have spent a lot of time doing to kind of keep myself sane, because, you know, when you have when when drawing was my hobby and then it became my job, then I was kind of out of hobbies, you know, that because were... <laughs> <So, laughs> yeah. you don't really feel like drawing more once you'd be like, you know, it's know, yeah. yeah, if you're a chef and you get off work and you gotta go home and cook, it's like, oh, man, yeah I just did that, yeah. for, you know, so yeah. it, it was nice to have a new creative outlet that allowed me to scratch that itch that wasn't more drawing. Um, what kind,
0: like, what kind of action figures, and like, what's what does that mean, like, customizing?
1: Yeah, so I I like to work with Mezco One Twelve figures, which are essentially like a like a mini hot toy. They're like half the size, okay. you know, um, one twelve scale, which is a six inch figure, and and that particular brand uses soft goods, so they actually have little tailored clothing and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so I like to either improve upon some that come out in the sense that like maybe the the paint job on the face wasn't great and I like to make it a little more lifelike or I will completely overhaul. I'm trying to think of a good example. I took a recently, I took a a Netflix daredevil Mezco 112 figure and I turned it into the Robert Pattinson Batman (laughs) by I sculpted (laughs) armor for it, you know, based on the screen grabs I found and, and altered the head to, um, you know, have the pointy ears and all that stuff. And, you know so a lot of it is kind of kit bashing you find different pieces from different figures that will approximate the look of that thing you're trying to make so generally what i'm doing with my customs is trying to make something that doesn't exist yet so that i can have it yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. the very first one i made was a john wick figure i took a, a McFarlane toys neo uh nice yeah and i you know sanded down the hair re-sculpted it put a beard on him and found a suited body for it and then of course within a couple of months everyone was making John Way figures like a hot toy one and diamond select and all that stuff. But
0: sure. Sure. um,
1: So yeah, it's generally stuff like that. And I kind of just have them around. I sell them every now and then if it's something that I just wanted to make, but don't really have a desire to keep. Yeah. But but for the most part, they're from my own collection and I like to just kind of, you know, there, I find them inspiring to just have all these cool little approximations of a real, Character in real life or whatever version of yeah. them just all tiny on my desk, you know, <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's super fun. Yeah, do you do you sh- so? You said you sell some of them, do you share them out like on social where people could see? Yeah, them? I, like, I put them all hit on hit.
1: Instagram. Um, and I'll make dioramas for them too. I made a Mission Impossible team, um, and I made a little warehouse diorama for them to be posted up in. That was a fun yeah. one because what I did was I took um Diamond Select put out a, a I don't remember the character's name, but Ving Rames from. Pulp fiction. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I took the head from that and the body from something else, and you know, kind of. And then, (laughs) um, I I took a a Sean of the Dead Simon Pegg figure and then put the head on a different body. And then recently, the original
0: Mission Impossible team, yeah, yeah.
1: And recently, McFarlane put out, um, the the mother I can't remember that I'm blanking on the uh, the actress's name, Rebecca Ferguson, I believe, who's in the new Dune movie. Mm. And I, I, Co-opted a different figure and kind of painted it to look like her as best I could but now I have an actual sculpt of that actress to put on the figure I made and then the the crazy thing is um, people will actually shrink hot toys heads or figures in that scale that are knockoffs from other you know third parties or whatever unlicensed yeah. stuff and you can use a, a a resin that shrinks when it cures. And you do it in a couple of stages and make a smaller version of it. So people okay. will shrink a Hot Toys head all the way down to the size of a 112 figure. So I was able to find a Tom Cruise to, to do that. And then you just get a blank, blank cast of it and paint it. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's this weird. Is this is yeah. so interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'll be sitting there with the, you know, an apron on and, and magnifying glasses, and you know, painting these tiny little heads, looking like a mad yeah, scientist yeah. or something. But
0: <laughs> oh man, yeah, no, just the focus and like the the dedication, like to get that painting done well. I know is such a challenge. Like I, when I was in, um, when I was younger, you know, just doing like Warhammer figures, you know, yeah. was was popular and like that was fun. But I was such a bad painter. <laughs> like I look at it now, and all my stuff is just like it's just garbage. But it was fun. It was a really it's, fun hobby. It's fun. Yeah.
1: It's really hard. It's really hard to paint, especially to paint convincing eyes on a figure that small Mm. um, without having them get blobby and weird looking, you know? Sure, Um, yeah. But if you put a clear uh, resin, like a clear varnish over eyes and mouths, it it gives them a a bit of a shine. It gives them kind of a wet look, and it just increases the lifelike uh, characteristics of it tenfold. So that's a fun it's a fun little hobby to, to really get lost in, especially when you can't go anywhere,
0: you know? <laughs> Excellent. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This past year, it's gotta yeah. be, a, gotta be the same. We all have our, our thing. That's a, that sounds like a good one to have. Um. Very cool. So this is, so count is the first of three graphic novels from humanoids. Like we mentioned Um. I know they haven't been announced the other two, so we probably can't talk about details, uh, but I'm curious, like what lessons do you think you'll take from this completed work uh, into the next two?
1: that's a really great question. I, I think I learned a lot about my process and honing it and refining it a bit from count. And so with this next book, I set out to do things differently in it from a narrative perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, With count, it's very much beginning, middle, end. And the book I'm doing now, I'm, I'm playing with time and the way that it's presented a bit. So uh, I think finishing count gave me the, the comfort to try to push myself to, to do a little bit, you know, more and do things a little differently on the the, the next go around. So, and I'm excited sure. to see what I learned from this book to take to the third one. Definitely.
0: Now, are these, are these all going to be adapted, like inspired by type things or is it pretty different? Uh, pretty different. Uh, pretty yeah. Different the next there.
1: one is, is kind of a genre mashup, um, that I haven't really seen done in this way before. So I'm pretty excited about it. Um, cool. and, uh, the third one is still up in the air. I've, I've got a couple ideas that I pitched that they were interested in. And so, but then I've had more come into my brain. So, uh, I guess we'll cross that bridge when we get to it, but <laughs> yeah, I'm, sure. you know, count was a doing a, an inspired by adaptation kind of thing was something I wanted to do specifically with this story, but also it was a bit of a calculated step because yeah. we're just in an age of reboots and things like that. And so I thought being a newer writer artist in that sense, you know, I haven't written a ton of stuff. I felt like I could probably get a publisher to, to take the chance on it more easily. If it was something that they had uh, at least an idea of what it was about.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Um, So uh, yeah, I'm excited to kind of stretch my legs on the next stuff here.
0: Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to seeing that too. Cause it is, it's funny. It's like, yeah, it's a clear hook. You know, there's a clear like PR hook to right. okay inspired by this thing that we all kind of know but then at the same time it's like yeah but what could you do free from those restraints and and like you said now you've got these other ideas so yeah I'll, I'll be looking forward to that um and uh yeah we'll include links here in the show notes for everybody who's interested in count of course and uh into your work especially your instagram which is going to be an immediate follow for me after this oh, so i can you. check out these <laughs> miniatures <laughs> uh, cool what else uh what else do you have coming up if anything that you want to plug or different places that people can find you
1: uh, for now it's just count, which comes out, uh, March 16th in bookstores, March 17th in comic shops. The mm-hmm. 16th is incidentally my birthday. So, uh, oh, perfect. you know, if people feel like, uh, wishing me a happy birthday by picking up the book, I would be very grateful. <laughs> yeah, um, there you go. If, if you go to countcomic.com, there is a trailer there that I've put together. That's a very cinematic style trailer that gives you a pretty good overview of the kind of vibe of the book. Sure. Uh, and then there also uh, is a link there to purchase it from various outlets, depending on what suits your needs best. Um, and then there's also links to my social media from there. So that's probably the best catch-all place for people to visit. And then they can find me in the various uh, places from there.
0: Count comic. Got it. Cool. All right, Abraham, this was uh, this was a pleasure. I know you've been doing uh, doing the press circuit uh, all over the place. I've seen interviews here. So I appreciate you taking the time.
1: Oh, thank you, on, man. Yeah, this me. was a lot yeah. of fun.
0: Good, good. I'm glad you enjoyed, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll share account. I think people should check it out. It's a fun book.